Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time, here back in Isaiah, looking at Isaiah chapter 28. And this is a, is a good full oracle here, oracle of judgment, but it's got a few different parts to it. In the first part, we see a kind of judgment against Ephraim and Jerusalem. So that's referring both to the northern portion in Samaria and the southern portion in Judah. Uh, and then you've got this turn in the middle. But what's really striking to me is at the end, you've got a parable. Yeah, that's right. You sometimes think of the parables as things that were only in the New Testament. Jesus told parables. But hey, look, actually here in Isaiah 28, we got a parable about a farmer. And so you've got a farmer that's scattering dill and cumin and wheat and all this. And so what's going on? What's it mean here? Pretty interesting. Is there a connection to the farmer parables that Jesus himself tells in the New Testament? So those are some of the things we're looking at today. And joining us, we've got one of our regular guests. We've got Pastor Warren Worth, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. Welcome back, brother. Good to have you with us. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah, in the studio today. So yeah, Isaiah 28, it's very similar, I think, to a lot of the things that we've seen before. Um, certainly some of this language of judgment, and we're making another connection, it seems, to the Assyrians and the siege of Jerusalem. Uh, but the, the parable stands out to me, at least. What? How about you? Certainly, it, it certainly makes an impression. There's a lot of very graphic imagery in the words of the prophet today, and so uh, some of it may even come across as borderline offensive, and yet right. the Lord uses this graphic imagery for his own saving purpose, to bring sinners to repentance so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins that is his primary goal. Right. And, and certainly it's not something that we haven't seen already in Isaiah. He has used graphic language to condemn in judgment, though the way he does it here, yeah, I think it is pretty strong. The, the drunken metaphor is per, perhaps most explicit here so far in Isaiah. And it kind of reminds you of some of the other prophets like Amos in the way that it's just so pointed. Indeed. Yeah. So the prophets of the Old Testament uh, were d didn't pull any punches. <laughs> the Lord spoke <laughs> through them. Very right. powerful words at a time when the people had gone badly astray. And again, the Lord's purpose behind it all is a gracious purpose. But when people are going badly astray, it takes strong words to point out their sin, call them to repentance, threatening judgment if they do not repent, and promising grace for those who repent and believe the gospel. In, indeed. So it's something that's it's consistent. It's not really, it might be surprising to us uh, if we haven't cracked open the prophets in a while, but really it is across the board, not unusual just because of the kinds of circumstances. I mean, I mean, the circumstances of war, you know, as we've been talking about, I mean, it's pretty dire situations. So looking at Isaiah 28 today, and as we get started here, would you say a prayer for us and for everybody listening? I would be glad to do so. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Let the light of your word shine brightly in our hearts this day, that through the light of your word we may be 
uh, able to see our sins clearly and repent of them. And by the grace and power of your Holy Spirit, may we also see Jesus, our Savior, in his glorious light, that we, repenting of our sins and believing in him who died for us and rose again, may receive full redemption and forgiveness through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right. So now as we get started here and we can read the first few verses, do you have any uh, thoughts for us maybe connecting this to the previous chapter? Is there anything that we should be kind of taking from from, uh, chapters 26 and 27 leading up into 28? Well, I see this as sort of a break or a transition from what we had had uh, in the previous chapters. There were some uh, maybe more of a gospel emphasis, it seemed to me. You know, chapter 25, you've got, you know, the wonderful picture of the feast that the Lord right. has in stored for uh, those who trust in him and that death will be swallowed up and tears will be wiped away from our faces forever. Uh, right. And uh, likewise, uh, you have um, the words of um, people... Um, having perfect peace in Christ as we trust in the Lord and then Mm -hmm. God's redeeming his people and punishing and destroying Leviathan. Right. Uh, And so you've had all of that uh, prior to this. And the very end of chapter 27, uh, you have the Lord bringing back those who were lost, those who were driven out, uh, those in the land of Assyria, those in the land of Egypt being brought back, gathered again to worship the Lord on the holy mountain of Jerusalem. So a lot of good gospel there, uplifting promises of restoration. And now here we go again with judgment. Oh, ah, whoa. Uh, right. And, and, and some, again, as we said, graphic pictures of, of sin and graphic pictures of God's threats of punishment for sinners. But then uh, lest we think this is all woe and all uh, condemnation and judgment, there are beautiful gospel words also in this chapter. So we don't want to lose sight of the fact that when the Lord speaks this word of law, a word that's harsh and judgmental, there's the saving purpose behind it. He wants to bring people to repentance. He does not delight in people's destruction. He would rather that we all repent trust in him, receive that forgiveness, and then walk in newness of life. And that's really the whole thrust of this chapter. So it's not different in some respects, but having a couple of chapters where there was a lot of emphasis on the gospel and the, and the future promises of redemption and restoration, here we're back to uh, judgment is coming. Judgment is uh, impending. It's imminent. And uh, the, the people of Samaria and Jerusalem and, and Judah should uh, watch out because their impenitence is crying out to God for judgment. Right. Yeah, I, I think so, that we are starting, uh, there is there is a transition, and we are starting another cycle, it would seem again. We we saw how, you know, leading up to those chapters of gospel, as, as you were describing them and reminding us, you know, we had, you know, chapter 24, judgment of God against the entire earth, right? Um, and then even there in, it was chapter 26 right like there was there was still even like this uh, kind of somber reflection on our own mistakes and the and the things that had resulted from them leading up to you know promise of resurrection the slaying of leviathan right 
but we we had that pattern of you know re- reflecting on on our sin which merited god's punishment and moving into salvation and god's gospel and so it seems like here in chapter 28 we're kind of restarting that again going to do the same thing where you know today it's going to be a lot of focus on the punishment for the wrongdoing and the sin kind of repeating so we're not really advancing the timeline any in in 27 we were talking about hezekiah's repentance and here it seems like we're we've gone back to before hezekiah repents before god um saves from the siege we're kind of giving another perspective on that but to be sure we're going to get again as we move on to 29 and 30 we're going to get back to this idea eventually anyway um that god's going to save even though he's punishing Indeed, and and that always must be kept in mind so that we don't lose sight of it in the midst of some pretty strong words of judgment. Right. Well, let's go ahead and take a look at these words of judgment here. Maybe just the first, um, uh, we, we can just look at the first six verses here just to get us started here. Ah, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim, and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong, like a storm of hail, a destroying tempest, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters. He casts down to the earth with his hand. The proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot. And the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley, will be like a first ripe fig before the summer. When someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it's in his hand. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate." So, as you were saying already, um, I mean, just look at the way they're addressed, like out of the gate, you know, calling them the, the drunkards of Ephraim. You can you can hear the, the the taunting tone, but yeah, as you were saying, there there is a little bit of silver lining promise of salvation still, even in the midst of this rocky start. There is, and it's by way of contrast. So. Uh, The picture for anyone who might be unfamiliar with this would be the first section here is dealing with the northern kingdom. So after Israel was divided into northern and southern kingdoms, the northern kingdom, Israel, Samaria was its capital. And that the picture here of a crown, uh, the head of a rich valley, uh, Mm -hmm. that that actually is, you know, taking the geography and topography of the place uh, into consideration and using that in the imagery. So had you been there and you'd seen the capital rising up on this um, hill in the middle of the city on a hill, a city on a hill. Exactly. So and it was prosperous. And so you had all, you know, the 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 walls and the towers and, you know, it looks great, looks like a crown on a head. And yet then by contrast, there's the filth and the degradation of drunkenness. Um, Right. And the Lord himself is speaking his word. So this crown that they're so proud of that seems beautiful and glorious and they might think is going to last forever. No, it's like a fading flower. Here today, mm-hmm. gone tomorrow. Tomorrow, It's glorious beauty is a thing that is very ephemeral. 
Mm-hmm. And and so that's what God is, is threatening. And then, you know, behold, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong, like a storm of hail, a destroying tempest, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters he cast down to the earth with his hand. So here's the coming judgment. And one would presume this is, again, referring to the Assyrians coming right. to destroy them, a mighty and strong tool in the hand of God. So even though the Assyrians are not godly, they are used by the true God to punish yeah. the people who refuse to listen to his word. Uh, they worship idols. They go their own stubborn way. They refuse to listen to the words of the prophets and judgment in this lifetime. So we're not only talking about you know the eternal fire of hell hereafter, but right now we're talking about the judgment that happened to them right. in history when God mm-hmm. brought in the Assyrians and the Assyrian army was mighty and strong and this this uh, city on a hill in which they took such great pride uh, would be overthrown and the people would be destroyed. And again, look at the imagery, a storm of hail, Mm-hmm. A destroying tempest, a storm of mighty overflowing waters. Boy, we've had our share of storms in the United States this year. And so we can maybe kind of <laughs> yeah. see what has happened in terms of the weather and, and try to picture in our minds how that's used as, a, as an image of God mm-hmm. bringing the Assyrian army against these faithless, impenitent, sinful people, drunkards glorying in their shame and so the pride of these drunkards will be trodden underfoot the fading flower and its glorious beauty which is ahead of the rich valley will be like a first ripe fig so there's another image that comes in so besides a hailstorm if you've ever been in a hailstorm it's terrible and and we've seen some horrible hailstorms in the st louis area i don't know if you get them out there in california but in the midwest not too often (laughs) in in the midwest it's more common tornadoes thunderstorms hailstorms Uh, i I remember uh, just a few years back, there was a really bad one. I mean, it mm. it caused little dimples in our cars yep. as we're sitting outside yep. and caused damage to our, our shingles. But uh, several yep. miles away in St. Charles County, it was like baseball size hail and the photographs oh, of yeah, it was a Mercedes Benz dealership with all these ex- uh, expensive luxury cars with smashed yeah. windshields from the hail. It's a it's, yeah. it's a frightening thing to see and to think about. And here he's using that kind of picture of hailstorm, a dreadful hailstorm, as destroying this impenitent yeah. people and a, a tempest storm of mighty overflowing waters. Once again, this has been the year of flooding. Oh my, all over the place. Yeah. And and. For, for month after month, here again, even in, in the St. Louis area, once again, the rivers are overflowing their banks. So mm-hmm. where there well, is... If, I can, pot, if, if sure. I can just jump in really really quick, I mean, that, that's that image that you brought up of like the hailstorm just, I mean, like raining down and smashing up the cars, right? And like a lot of people maybe remember that picture and remember that, that the hailstorm from a few years ago. I, I, I certainly do when we were back there in St. Louis. It, what's interesting is how... You, you mentioned it. You know, th- this is a metaphor for Assyria here coming in from the east. And we and we saw elsewhere they were described as like a, a scorching wind from the east. And here it's a little bit of a wetter metaphor here. But you think about that, the, the idea of like a storm of hail. I mean, it's like being bombarded. You know, it, it's like um, I think it actually likens it very uh, neatly to like a barrage of like arrows and a barrage of like siege works. I mean, like it, it it feels and it kind of sounds like when you're in the middle of a, of a, of a hailstorm, right. And you're inside, it's like, 
you know, you're kind of like in the bunker taking shelter because you're being, you know, bombarded. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, God himself is described as bringing like a storm and hailstones. Like I, I think of Psalm 18, where it says, you know, he, he made darkness his covering, his canopy around them, thick dark clouds with water out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds, right? So that, that's very striking that, you know, even though, as you said, this is an ungodly people, you know, they, they don't worship, you know, Yahweh, yet they're, they're being described in, in the same sorts of terms, and through them, we are seeing God, at least in, as far as he presents himself in his judgment, like a warrior who bombards with these hailstones. Indeed. And, and God literally used hailstones to uh, mete out punishment on people. And, and hail, right. hail can be deadly. So you yep. think of in the days of Moses, among yep. the plagues was hail which again was deadly to man and beast. And likewise, in the days of Joshua, God used hailstones uh, to overcome enemies and give a, a victory, mm-hmm. which gets alluded to later in this same chapter. So yeah, God l- literally is in control of the weather, literally yes. can use the weather like hail and floods to accomplish his uh, judgment. So the great flood of Noah's day certainly would be the the mm-hmm. main example in the Old Testament of God meeting out judgment on the sinful earth by destroying everything with breath in it uh, by a flood of water that covered the earth, except those that God Himself preserved graciously in the ark right. that He commanded Noah to build. So here, and we do see that preservation theme at the end here. Exactly, and that's kind of where we're going with this. That that you know now this is an image that God is using the Assyrians in this way so that the proud, stubborn, impenitent, rebellious people of Samaria who take pride in their great city on the hill that's like a crown of glory, that crown is going to be destroyed. It'll be its glory like the fading flower will be trodden underfoot. It ain't so glorious anymore. But by contrast, verse 5 and following, the Lord the Lord of hosts, he will be a crown of glory, a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. So notice the contrast with uh, verses five and six with what precedes it. So the Mm -hmm. crown that the impenitent, stubborn unbelievers have is going to be torn down, cast down, destroyed, very graphic picture of Assyria being used as God's instrument of judgment against them. But by contrast, the Lord of hosts, and remember that that term, uh, Lord of hosts, uh, Yahweh Sebeoth, is this idea right. that God is the God of armies. So on the one yep. hand, his, his covenant name, he's the, the, the God of the covenant, the covenant of grace, whereby he promised and in the fullness of time sent Jesus to be our Savior. Uh, he is also the one who commands all the angels of heaven there at his command, and he is the one who comes as commander, and his crown is truly a glorious crown, a diadem of beauty that is everlasting. Uh, and notice the people to whom this crown uh, is is uh, promised, and that's the remnant. And so this is a theme throughout Isaiah, throughout the prophets, that you've got the people of God who are often unfaithful, but you have a remnant. These right. are the people who hear the word of God, who heed the word of God, who are led to repentance, 
brought by the Holy Spirit to faith in the promised coming Messiah, and they are recipients of God's grace. He promises them restoration. He promises them glory. He promises them justice. He promises them strength, so that even though they face uh, foes and and maybe and even at the gate, what a picture of you know being surrounded and the battle is at the very gates of of the city. Yet they will turn back the enemies, not with their strength, not by their power, but by the Lord of Hosts being their strength and their right. savior. And that's the right. point here: that He is their strength, He is their savior. Their trust is in Him, not in their own wealth or power or accomplishments or works. And so those who are not trusting in the Lord will experience this utter defeat. And those who do trust in the Lord will uh, be will share in his victory and his glory. He will be their glorious crown, their diadem of beauty. And he is the one who makes them to be a remnant, the people who mm-hmm. do last, the do, people who do survive, the people who do at last receive his full salvation. One last thing, back on backing up a bit to verse four, that image mm. of uh, being like the first ripe figs. Oh, the figs. Fig. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you like figs. The figs are, figs are wonderful. Some people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people don't like them. Some people do. But certainly, <laughs> they, they were considered a, a sweet delicacy. Yes. And then, yeah, and one the, of the few ways you were going to get a, a sweet treat. There wasn't any, you know, Rice Krispies or anything. So. <laughs> there you go. And so. Um, when when they ordinarily would ripen, you know, it, later in the summer, say August or something like this, there were some that ripened sooner, and they didn't uh-huh. last long on the tree because people would, right. you know, quick pick them and pop them in their mouth because they were so good. And so you say, well, what's the picture there? Why is that used in the judgment scene? Well, it's like, you know, so um, Samaria and the cities of, of the northern kingdom would be like that to the invading right. army. So mm-hmm. uh, they are sweet and, and delectable and tempting, and the enemy comes in and they just pop them in their mouth uh, because they're, they're not going to last long. And so, it, that's, right. again, you need to kind of understand yes. that's the point of the comparison, that right. just like uh, people would come to, up to the tree and pick all these early ripe uh, figs and pop them in right. the mouth. So the Assyrians are going to come and they're just going to pick off these people because they're ripe for the picking. They're ripe yes. for judgment. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and that's kind of the picture there. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's well said. Not good turn of phrase for this, uh, for this little image. And also yeah, kind of thinking about it, it does kind of set us up later for what we have at the end of the chapter where we kind of also have this sort of harvesting ripe for the picking kind of an idea. Uh, but but yeah, I really appreciate what you were describing, the, the contrast, right? You know, it's like, oh, you think that you're such a beautiful crown of glory? Well, you're a crown of drunkards, you know, and the true crown of glory is, you know, the Lord of hosts. And, you know, we, we've seen that, how it's, you talk about glory in Isaiah, and it's like, uh, Isaiah, you know, glory, that's, that's kind of scary. Actually, it's very scary, usually, um, whether that's, you know, in Isaiah 6 or elsewhere. Um, I mean, it, I certainly think of when it talks about bringing the Assyrians, right? Um, you know, like the Lord has one who is mighty and strong that totally recalls Isaiah chapter eight, where we saw, you know, there, there he is comparing Assyria to like a flood. Because literally there is actually a big river over there, a couple of big rivers over there in Mesopotamia, right? And so he, he uses that language in chapter eight, you know, uh, bringing up against them the waters of the river mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory, Right. And uh, uh oh, watch out for that kind of glory. So that's that's the thing. Right. Like so when the Lord of hosts come, this is a glory that's going to be a terror 
to those who have been scoffing and trusting in their own strength, right? Uh, but it will be beautiful to the remnant, uh, to those to those who remain. So, I mean, that's the, the nature of God's glory here. You don't want to be on the wrong side of it. And and we talked about how they are preserved, and, and Isaiah has talked about this, how in the battle, the only reason why they're able to turn back those Assyrians, because they were at the gate. It says there in, in verse 6, those who turned back the battle at the gate. The only reason why they could turn them back was because the angel of the Lord shows up, that same angel that rescued them, as, as you were saying, uh, from Egypt with the plagues like hail, right? It's only because the angel of the Lord shows up and strikes the Assyrians down with some kind of calamity. It seems like perhaps some kind of um, disease or, or illness or whatever the case it was, some kind of disaster. Uh, but we need to go into a short little break here. But everybody hang with us here. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 28 on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. Friday, October 25th, 2019, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsor, Walt Lemerman of Herculaneum, Missouri, as he gives thanks to the Lord for the blessing of family. Walter made a contribution to KFUO Radio in loving memory of his mother, Edna Lemerman, who was a faithful listener of KFUO. Thank you, Walt Lemerman, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO day sponsor. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance on KFUO, inviting you to tune in to the weekend edition of the program, the new time of 7.45 a.m. Saturday and Sunday mornings, Central Time. There'll be a different text and theme each week and plenty of encouragement and strength, which only the Lord's Word can supply. So join me for a quarter hour of God's power and strength. That's Moments of Assurance weekend at 7.45 a.m. Saturday and Sunday mornings on KFUO. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 28 here, and we're joined today by Pastor Warren Worth, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. If you've got a question or a comment for me or Pastor Worth, go ahead and call in if you're listening live, 314-821-0850 for everybody in St. Louis. Everybody else, you can call one 800 730 2727 or send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. So we were just talking about that kind of, uh, I don't know, that mixed bag reality of glory, right? It's like on the one hand, oh, yes, it is beautiful to those who love God, but it's also 
uh, it's also a terror uh, to those uh, who are in sin, which we saw is everybody, really, which requires God's uh, purification and and uh, harrowing things down to a remnant. Um, and that's the work that we saw even with Isaiah himself being cleansed by that by that burning uh, fiery coal. But so, yeah, you have that that little hint of gospel there. That there is a remnant. Uh, there, there will be a spirit of justice given to Hezekiah. Uh, there will be strength given through the glorious and merciful work of the angel of the Lord to those who are able to resist and stand up to the Assyrian siege. But yeah, we're kind of going from judgment to judgment, though. It's uh, it's going right back into it. And really, with at verse 7, the language just gets even stronger, doesn't it? It definitely does. Well, let's go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead. And we can look at this next section here, uh, maybe just through verse 13. But we've got this, you know, as as we were saying, there's already, you know, this this idea of, you know, the the drunkards of Ephraim, right? That's the metaphor that's being used here. It's getting stronger here and it becomes clear at verse seven. Well, the problem isn't just with the north. It's not just with Ephraim. It's in the south, too. So here's this next section here, verses 7 through 13. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They're swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. To whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to his people, to whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they would not hear. And the word of the Lord will be to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. So, wow, you know, I mean, you've got just really a ratcheting up of the the drunken metaphor and targeting. I mean, I mean, no one no one is really exempt from this condemning word of law, even the prophets and the priests down in Judah. Absolutely. And that's that's the thing that is shocking here. So the very graphic, shocking imagery of drunkenness to the point of vomiting uh, is used and, and again, the, not the people you would expect, the people you would expect to be good guys, right. not prophets and priests. These are the religious people and religious right. people in Jerusalem. Uh, so the, these should be the people who are God's representatives in the temple, offering sacrifice. God's representatives speaking God's word to the people. And yet they are described as people reeling with drunkenness, swallowed by wine, staggering with strong drink, vomiting, 
all over the table with no space left. Ugh. Um, yeah. I don't know what your uh, college days were like. No. Uh, <laughs> no and, and, and I, I did not personally partake of that, but I lived in dormitories long yeah. enough to yeah. see what is uh, altogether too common yeah. on common ca- college campuses. At least that was, you know, decades ago. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and I, I don't think know, it's gotten better, brother. I don't think it's gotten when, any better. When the weekend would come, you know, people drinking to excess and then right. trying to use the common restrooms on yeah. the following morning was uh, a, a challenge because literally there was vomit all over the place. And, right. and it's disgusting. It turns you off. Well, and when God describes priests and prophets in the holy city Jerusalem participating yeah. in this, and again, how much of this is literal that these people were literally drunk to that point, or hmm. how much of it is speaking spiritually of yeah. the way they were dealing with the temple and God's worship and God's people yeah. and God's word? Either way, to what, whether yeah. you're talking literally, these, these guys were drunk and, and doing right. this all over the place, or or figuratively is speaking about the, how they had yeah. de- degraded the temple, how they degraded well, the holy city, yeah. how they misused the word of God and abused God's people and ignored what God was saying to them through the true prophet, Isaiah. Yeah. That's what we really uh, see going on here. So what, what happens when you get to verse 9, and this, this may be a little hard for our listeners to grasp if they don't have uh, a copy of Scripture in front of them. When you mm. get to verse 9, you see quotation marks of, yeah. of the words of verses 9 and 10. So right. this is how bad it had gotten. That those who were supposed to have visions from God, those who were sent by God to give judgment to his people, were guilty of drunkenness and vomiting and had so become impenitent, unbelieving, wicked people themselves, despite the office to which God had called them and in which he had placed them. Now they even mock the true prophet Isaiah with that phrase, to whom will he teach knowledge and to whom will he explain the message? So the he here would be Isaiah. I, right. I, Isaiah, are you so? Are you such a great guy? Oh, here he comes, goody two-shoes. And he's going to teach yeah. us? You're going to teach us knowledge? You're going to explain a message to us like we need correction? And so they're mocking him and acting as though, are, are you treating us like we're just little babies just weaned from the breast that we need you to teach us? So again, mm-hmm. these very words and quotation marks are, right. are supposedly there mocking Isaiah, they're rejecting God's true prophet and his call to repentance, his pointing out their sins and their need to repent and come to God for forgiveness. And they're the ones then who have this little saying, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. They are belittling the word of God brought to them by the prophet Isaiah condemning them in the midst of their sinfulness, calling them to repent, calling them to turn to the Lord for forgiveness and cleansing and mercy. And they're rejecting it. They're despising it. They're mocking it. And so verses 11 to 13 are God's answer through Isaiah the prophet to them. It's like, okay, you don't want to listen to my word. You mock my word. You treat it with uh, scorn. 
here's God's, exact. they had contempt for God's word, and here is what is coming for you. Uh, by yeah, people well, of strange it, lips. And, yeah, that's right. So you're not going to listen to Isaiah. Well, maybe you'll listen to the Assyrians. Well, you're going to have to, right? Right. So the Lord's going to speak to these people through a people of strange lips, with a foreign tongue. So yes, the foreigners are going to come in, and you don't want to listen to what Isaiah says. Now, this is what you get instead, judgment. And what God had really been saying through the prophet Isaiah to these people was a gospel word there in verse 12. This is rest. Give rest to the weary. This is repose. That's what God wanted them to have. God's primary idea here is not that he wants to bring punishment, not that he Mm -hmm. wants to bring judgment on them, but he wants them to have rest, uh, rest for the weary, repose. But you would not listen. And so doesn't that remind you of Jesus Mm -hmm. speaking to Jerusalem, you know, in, in his earthly life and ministry as he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem for his crucifixion and and saying, weeping over the city, weeping over Jerusalem because they would not listen, they would not repent. Right. When he had come, again, Jesus came not because he wanted to judge the people, not because he wanted people to be damned. He said, I was like a mother hen trying to gather my chicks under my wings, you know, to save them, and you would not. And here right. too, they would not listen, they rejected God's attempts his efforts to to bring them to repentance so that they could and they, be and they reject with with mocking and, and taunting right just as they did with our lord right i mean i'm reminded about how our lord says you know doubtless you'll quote to me that old proverb physician heal yourself right or in other places you know you made fun of john the baptist because he came you know like dressed in camel hair eating locusts and so he came fasting and now you 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 make fun of me because i'm you know, eating with you guys, like, you know, what, what, what's, <laughs> well, when are you going to be happy? You're just making fun of God's messengers every time, no matter how they come, you know, and we know certainly that Isaiah has been, you know, active in ministry for, for years. I mean, we, we saw, we saw back, it was like several chapters ago, but like there was that Oracle, uh, that Isaiah had where, you know, he was like naked for three years. Right. I mean, so, I mean, he's, he's been doing all kinds of demonstrations, you know, he's been like a, you know, like a one man, like protest movement, not not one man. We know there are other prophets as well, but, you know, they, they were all there, like making noise, you know, for years that there would be some kind of repentance. And just for years, they've just been scoffing, scoffing and, and rejecting God's word. And so now God is rejecting them. You know, yeah. when if people despise God's word and will not listen, the, the time of grace comes to an end and then God does bring judgment. And in this case, it was the judgment of bringing Assyria upon them and destroying them. As And then, verse 13, and the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon yeah. precept, line yeah. upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. So you're going to despise God's word. You're going to trivialize it. So if if that's all the gospel is to you, is just uh, meaningless gibberish and, and, and speech, and that's what you want to make of it, then that's what it will be to you. It will not come 
with its gracious power to save you because you reject it. Instead, you will receive judgment. The word of God that you despise will come back to bite you. You will fall backward, be broken, ensnared, and taken. So again, a very powerful picture of God's judgment upon these people who would not listen to God's word. They despised it, they rejected it, and therefore they were rejected by God, and God's judgment fell upon them because of their impenitence and their unbelief. Right. And as you were saying, it's in some ways, it's their judgment against themselves because there they've gone and said, you know, the word of God, like, we don't we don't care. We, we don't accept this as a word of rest. We don't accept this as a word of repose. For us, it's just it's just it's just a, we can't be bothered with this. You know, it's a burden. It's you know, we don't want to listen. Right. And so it's like, oh, OK, you, you, you're saying that my word's a burden. Like, OK, well, it's a burden then. You know, I mean, you know, he, he's really like saying like, OK. You, you don't want to say thy will be done. OK, thy will be done. You know, I mean, it really is God just saying this is what you're asking for. And so I'll just give it to you. I didn't want to, but this is what you're demanding. I mean, it is really something how when God punishes, it, it is really our own. He's really just giving us over to our own self-destructive tendencies. Indeed. I know we've got a lot of territory and a lot, uh, not we a do. lot of time left, so I'll let you continue if you're ready to do that with verses yeah, 14 go. so we get to the end of the chapter. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and take the second half of the chapter here. So you know, this continues, this, this uh, condemnation, and then you transition to kind of conclude with this parable here. So picking it up at verse 14. Therefore, Hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass through, by day and by night, and it will be sheer terror to understand the message. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on, and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim, as in the valley of Gibeon, he will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed, and to do his work. Alien is his work. Now, therefore, do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts against the whole land. Give ear. And hear my voice, give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put in wheat in rows and barley in its proper place, and emmer as the border? For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge. Nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin, but dill is beaten out with a stick, and cumin with a rod. 
Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. All right, so that's going to give us uh, plenty to chew on here. And I, I think we kind of just have to content ourselves to kind of pick out a couple of you know choice highlights, perhaps. But I, I know that one of the ones that, that stands out for me is this description of this covenant with death and this agreement with Sheol. And it, it seems like he's talking about this agreement that they had or that they were trying to arrange. We've read about this in a few different places in Isaiah, and we're going to hear more about it in the chapters to come, that they were trying to make this deal with Egypt so that they would stand against Assyria. And there they were saying like, oh, well, we'll be okay because Egypt's going to take care of us. And when and when Assyria comes through, Egypt does not stand. Egypt is 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 laid waste. The, the chariots that they send up into uh, Palestine, like they they just fold like a deck of cards, and so you know. In, but on the other hand, even though this is judgment, right? I mean, isn't it interesting how God says, you know, that He's going to do this so that the agreement with Sheol will not stand? You know, He He doesn't want His people to be slaves of Egypt again. I mean, so even though it's judgment, I mean, I, I feel like there's a kind of an implicit gospel there that He doesn't want His people to have a covenant with Sheol of all things. Well, so the, the first thing here, really, it is, it's a word of judgment. And so if you're talking about a, a double meaning or a double way of yeah. taking it, double application, first of all, it is judgment. So they right. are trusting in the wrong thing. So in trusting yeah. in, instead of trusting in the Lord, listening to his voice, obeying him and trusting in him to be their champion, their defender, they're looking for uh, earthly means, even right. these unbelieving uh, Egyptians, yeah. by by way of political alliance and military power, to to be their salvation, big mistake, and mm-hmm. and so so God is saying you you're trusting that you you think this makes you invincible, it ain't so guys. The, right. the the judgment that you're trying to defend yourself against will come anyway, and what's yeah. going to become of this so called agreement? Uh, with with death and Sheol, death and Sheol will get you, and Egypt will not save you. But you're rightly pointing out that behind this, besides the judgment aspect of this, certainly God doesn't want them to become slaves again to Egypt. And ultimately, you know, you and I are slaved uh, are saved from our slavery to death and hell yes. and the grave through Jesus Christ. So the again, all of the prophecy of Isaiah and all of the Old Testament needs to be seen in view of the coming Savior, the promised right. seed, the promised suffering servant, he would come, and he, who is God with us, God in the flesh, would, by his suffering and death on the cross, and by his glorious resurrection, he would truly save all people who repent and believe in him from death and Sheol, from death and hell and the grave forever. So, you and I hear these words, and on the, there's the one level where you're talking about the imagery of the political alliances and, right. and the military battles and, and defeat that are there. But the ultimate thing that you and I also understand is that this prefigures the true victory that the Lord gives us in the one who is the Lord 
who saves, right? The name Jesus yes. is the Lord saves, and he's the one who can really do that. He can really save us from death and the grave, and he does by his life, suffering, death, and resurrection. And we certainly want to realize that is ultimately in view as well. Right. Well, um, right. And, 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 and just in the New Testament, too, like, you know, I mean, everything that Paul says about, you know, like these covenants, like, you know, they, they, they last until death, right? And so, you know, you can imagine, like, you know, we make this covenant with death. God's people has aligned itself with death. Well, what's going to happen, right? Well, I mean, I, I mean, this if God can just let this go on, so He goes and He becomes like His people. You know, Jesus is the people of Israel, and He dies to annul the covenant with death. And then, what's He say? This is the blood of the new covenant. You know, I mean, so so I really do. I I, I totally agree with you, brother. That like on the one level, this is you know talking about these political alliances, but you got to see this in the big picture as. You know, God is coming because, like, here we are allying ourselves to the worst things, spiritually speaking. And, and really, the only way we're going to have a good covenant is if God himself comes into our own flesh and makes the covenant for us. Right. And you've got this strong contrast there then between, you know, humans trusting in the wrong thing and then the result is sheer terror. But yeah. on, on the other hand, and, and it does not provide comfort. It can't, you can't really find comfort. It's like being in a bed that's too short. You can't stretch out yeah. and there, mm-hmm. with, a, with a blanket that you can't, that's too narrow. You can't wrap it around yourselves. And you right. can, we can all relate to that and say, <laughs> you can't really get any sleep. You don't get any comfort there. And that's what right. happens to people who are trusting in the wrong thing. Instead right. of trusting in in the Lord, trusting in his promised mercy, trusting the gospel that finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, the Son of God, who loved us, who gave himself for us, who died and rose again, conquering sin and death and hell for us. You know, we're trusting in something else, whether it's our own good works, political alliances, the culture of the day, whatever it may be. If you're trusting in anything other than Jesus, it doesn't work. But when you trust in Jesus, he provides comfort. He provides victory. He provides provides the rest. He provides the salvation that we need. And that's what really comes out here. Um, likewise, um, we talks about the Lord rising up on Mount Perizim and the Valley of Gibeon. Mm, Again, right. that, that takes us back to victories that God had already gained in the past. Military victories yeah. for King David. Military mm-hmm. victories for Joshua, where God intervened miraculously on behalf of his people. So trust in the Lord. His arm is not short. He can do more than you can even ask or think. He is strong. He is able to free you from death and destruction and so forth. So that's why getting to verse 23 and following, give ear, hear my voice, give attention, hear my speech. He's pleading with people to listen before Mm -hmm. it's too late because God wants to save them. And now we get to that image that you so want to talk about, God as (laughs) farmer. Yeah, yeah. And so... Parable. Right, right. And so this metaphor, once again, God is acting as a farmer, but not as a foolish farmer. You don't just Mm -hmm. plow and plow and plow. There's a time to plow, but there's a time to plant. You know, you you don't uh, forget that it's not just plowing forever. Likewise, when it comes to the harvest and threshing, there's proper implements. One thing is used for this grain. Another thing is used for things like dill and, and cumin. And so he, he points out God isn't stupid. God has right. a, God has a plan. And so, and then bringing this all back to what's going on in their real time experience with the Assyrians, with judgment coming is God will judge these people. He will punish. He will chasten. 
But the purpose of it all is God ultimately is looking for a harvest. God is looking for souls to be saved. That's what he's trying to do. It's not God acting in an irrational, senseless way. So all right. of the plowing, the planting, the threshing, uh, it, it, you know, God is not here to crush only. His idea is he wants people to be saved. And so that's how you end up after all of this agricultural image that he, uh, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel excellent in wisdom. So we're back to gospel. We're back to grace, looking to the Lord, realizing the folly of trusting in men. Instead, trust in the Lord. He knows what he's doing. And even, right. in, and, and we overlooked even that, that expression, his alien work. Maybe a yes. word needs to be said about that, because even theologically, as Lutherans, we focus on this. God's alien yeah. work is judgment, because God really does not delight in the death of the wicked, he wants the wicked to turn from his way that he might right. live. And so that's what's going on. So we talk about God's work of judgment as an alien thing. His proper work, the thing that he really wants to do, the number one thing God wants to do is to save you. He wants right. you to be brought to repentance. He wants you to be brought to faith. He wants you to trust in Jesus, whom he sent to be the Savior, who did conquer sin and death and hell and the grave for us. He conquered our enemies for us once and for all. And so it's foolish to reject his word, to trust in yourself. Instead, we should trust in the Lord, who is wonderful, excellent in wisdom, wonderful in counsel. He is the Lord of hosts. He has come to be our Savior. Trust in him. Don't trust in yourself. Don't be stubborn. Don't reject God's word. Hear the word. Listen to the word. Repent, believe, and live. Amen. Amen, brother. Hey, well, thank you for, <laughs> you You did a great job just summing it up and tying those loose threads at the end there. We got through, it's a longer chapter, but like as you were showing, it really all fits together neatly in that way, that call to repentance and really that God holding out, um, you know, in his heart of hearts, grace uh, for us. So thank you for, for guiding us through today and look forward to having you on again real soon. I look forward to it too. Everybody, that was Pastor Warren Worth, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. Thanks for joining us today, looking at Isaiah chapter 28. I really do like, you know, this uh, this farmer image at the end. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, you see, you know, someone might say like, okay, you know, this God, you know, sometimes he punishes his people, sometimes he blesses his people. What's he doing, right? But my Isaiah says, no, no, no. Everything has a time. Everything has a season. He has got certain tools for certain tasks, certain tools for other ones. This is all so that he can reap a harvest, just like we saw in the previous chapter where, where it says that he's got this vineyard that Israel would blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. So we are moving on to Isaiah chapter 29. Next time, we thank you for joining us and thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. Until next time, everybody, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at KFUO.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.